When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com. Doug Lieberis and Scott Patsko. And I like this one this week because Scott Patsko has a point to make. Listen up, people. He is taking conventional wisdom and jamming it full of stats. So I am I am looking forward to this one because I'm one of the people who is kind of going along with the conventional wisdom. And it's about the idea, are the Browns not throwing to their wide receivers enough? And I think, for instance, Jarvis Landry is currently subscribing to that idea. But Scott has some numbers. We're going to talk this out. I might get a little persnickety on behalf of Jarvis Landry and anybody else in the receiver room, and maybe even a little bit on behalf of Odell Beckham Jr. at times during the podcast, but then Scott will jam stats right up my gullet too. So here we go, Scott Pats, go dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. I think this is the the second time in three weeks we've gone over receivers. Uh, The first one was kind of what they're going to do without OBJ, which I thought was appropriate at the time. And and now it's just, you know, they're, they're just back in, in the spotlight after the Patriots game. So we're going to go over the wide receivers again. And speaking of Sunday, Jarvis Landry, one target through the first three quarters against the Patriots, right? Through three quarters, as the Browns fell behind 31-7, wide receivers accounted for six of 20 targets in that game. Four of those went to DPJ in the first half. Baker Mayfield, one of six, throwing to wide receivers before leaving the game with his injury in the third quarter. So naturally, people wondered, why the Browns weren't throwing more to wide receivers. They're out there getting crushed. They're not throwing to receivers. They're not connecting with receivers. It's not, it's not like the first, this is the first game that this question has been raised either um, about re- receivers as a whole or specific receivers. You know, Odell Beckham Jr. had two targets a week earlier. I, also I, had I what are you doing? How could you possibly well, refute what you're saying right now? I, I'm you just, this is how I'm starting. Out- this is the case. There's no answer to this. The answer is correct. They need to throw to receivers more. I just started. I just started. You're so compelling right now by by presenting the case you're about to crush. I'm compelled. I agree so far. Yes. Yes. Okay. So OBJ had the two target game. He had a three target game earlier. Earlier, I think it was week five. DPJ, the guy expected to have a breakout season after his great training camp, one target in week one. One target in week two, none in week four. And he played at least 40 snaps in each of those games. I know I'm just like, I'm just teeing this up, aren't I? Uh, correct, <laughs> correct, correct, correct. Jarvis is standing nodding. there 
You're Jarvis standing there is with nodding. the driver just waiting, right? Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, the Browns offense has not been a fun place if you're a wide receiver this year, if you really want to get the ball, right? The top three, three of the top four pass catchers for the Browns this season, two tight ends and a running back. The Browns are last in targets thrown to wide receivers. And then Sunday's game just, you know, it just magnified all that. So I asked Kevin Stefanski on Monday uh, during his press conference about that. Like, are the wide receiver targets, is that where you want them, where they should be? Or is this something that you're, you've been trying to increase that you think needs to be better? And, um, you know, he gave me a, a typically Stefanski answer saying that, you know, they, they try to throw to everybody. Of course, they want their wide receivers to be productive and they want explosive plays, whoever they're throwing the ball to. He also made note of 13 personnel, which, again, three tight ends on the field. You have just one wide receiver out there. They do run that a lot in first and second down, as he said. Uh, and that kind of plays into the low target numbers for his receivers as well. The Browns use 13 personnel 21% of the time, which we've mentioned multiple times here on the pod. It's more than any other team this season. They were also the league leader last year. Um, they're 11% higher than the nearest team, which is the Titans. Uh, they're 17% above the league average. So they're, they're like on an island when it comes to 13 personnel. So, and because he uses so many two and three tight end formations, because that's such a big part of his offense, not just this year, but last year with the Browns and the year before that with the Vikings, wide receivers as a group are often near the bottom of the league in targets for Stefanski's offense. In other words, low targets for wide receivers and Kevin Stefanski's offense is nothing new, folks. It's always been there. Last season, the Browns ranked 30th in wide receiver targets. In 2019, with the Vikings, they ranked 31st. Again, the Browns are last this year. They're on pace for about 30 fewer wide receiver targets. Like if we if we spanned it out over a 16-game season to compare it to last year, about 30. But that's not really the issue here. It goes back to what Stefanski said about production and explosiveness. That's the issue. The Browns rank seventh in explosive plays when they throw it to their tight ends. And they're ninth when they throw it to their running backs. They're 22nd when they throw it to their wide receivers. Uh, EPA per target, how well they're moving down the field and getting, making successful plays, getting close to the end zone. They rank 24th when they throw to wide receivers this year. Yards per route run, which we've talked about on the podcast, which measures how much production a receiver is getting based on how often they're getting the ball versus, you know, total routes. Landry is 45th. Peoples Jones is 50th. Higgins is 91st. Nobody's even in the top 40 for the Browns. Demetrius Felton actually is the leader in that category. Who's technically a running back, but he has only 14 targets this year. So the point here is, and, and Kevin Stefanski kind of backed this up or alluded to this when he, he talked with the media on Wednesday, don't let the Patriots game skew your perception of what the offense is and what it's supposed to be. And I think that really became a thing this week. Why just Jarvis Landry had one target when it mattered and they had trouble connecting with receivers. And suddenly that's the issue they've had all year. It's not the issue. The issue is production, not so much how often they're thrown to these folks. Is that a difference without a distinction though, that it's not like, Hey, it's not that we're not throwing there enough. It's that just when we do throw there, we're terrible at it. Just <laughs> let's make sure the criticism. So, so is that, I mean, that's what you're refuting 
It's it's that they are. It's not that they don't throw to wide receivers. It's that they're bad at throwing to wide receivers. Because, for instance, in 2019, when Kevin Stefanski was calling plays in Minnesota, right? You said they didn't throw the receivers very much. Stephon Diggs, who was an elite receiver, had 63 catches on 94 targets in 15 games that year. He had 1,130 receiving yards. Now, that's not through the roof. That's not sky high. And Adam Thielen is a very good receiver in Minnesota. He only played 10 games that year. He must have gotten hurt or something. So yeah. his his production was down a little bit. And then Diggs, they did. They traded Diggs to Buffalo. And then Diggs in 2020 had bigger stats than he had in 2019. But I would say, you know, if if the Viking, if the if the Browns have a receiver with 1,100 receiving yards this year, that'd be pretty good. I don't, but they're not they're not going to have that, right? And, and and so I think there is a. I'll give you a, a yeah, but on this, right? That I think mm-hmm. if people are saying, "Hey, what's up with the receiver targets?" and your point is, "Hey, man, this is the way it is," then the yeah, but is yeah, but they they're terrible. <laughs> so is that fair? <laughs> is that fair? <laughs> It is fair what you bring up about Diggs, and I, I would throw like uh, AJ Brown with the Titans in there. Uh, the prop, like the Vikings and Titans, which I'm going to talk a little more about them here. They've had the, they've run similar offenses, uh, similar ways to what the Browns have done, as far as fewer wide receivers on the field, more tight ends, fewer uh, wide receiver targets. AJ Brown, uh, specifically in 2019, great year, played every game. Stephon Diggs played 15 games. The Browns have not had a season where their best receiver, whoever you think that is, I think a lot of people probably would have considered that OBJ last year, did not play a full game. They have not had their most explosive receiver play a full game. And, and they and it's a the full same year thing this a season. Full year. Or a full, full year, year, I'm sorry. Yeah. Um, it's the same thing this year. So I think that does matter. They've really had to kind of have a mishmash of changes on the fly this year and last year in terms of the wide receiver room. So that kind of plays into it as well, as far as like getting consistent production. Yeah. So, so, so there are two, there's two separate conversations here and, and, and maybe we're going to have both of them. We're, we're going to have both of them at some point. Maybe you're yeah. leading us there. If not, I'll lead us there. Yeah. One is, are they successfully doing what Kevin Stefanski is trying to do? But it's what Kevin Stefanski is trying to do, and we need to have a realistic vision of what Kevin Stefanski is trying to do. Is it working? The second is, is what Kevin Stefanski is trying to do the right thing? And is there a discussion about, okay, well, maybe this is no longer the right offense to win Super Bowls in the NFL, no matter what your roster is, whatever, that 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 this was a thing for a little bit. And if we're in a world where we talk about this a lot, Scott, the idea that like, Hey, the Browns are off on an edge. They are doing things differently than most offenses in the NFL. And when it works, it's like, aha genius. And when it doesn't work, it's like, what, why are you guys doing that? And that's a discussion too. So we got time. Hey, we go an hour on this show. We don't have to rush it but I'm throwing those two out there. So now say the thing you want to say. (laughs) I think, I think we are going to get to both of those. And I think the the first thing we can talk about is like, can this work? Does it work? Can wide receivers be productive with low targets? And that makes the offense successful. The bottom line is Stefanski wants quality over quantity. 
right? And he's not getting it this year. But if you want proof that that can succeed, you just need to look at last season. Remember, the Browns were 30th in wide receiver targets last year. Despite that, Browns receivers were second in EPA per target in 2020. They were sandwiched right in between the Packers and the Bills, two teams we think of as having big-time passing offenses, certainly big-time quarterbacks. That's right where the Browns were last year as far as production they were getting when they threw to wide receivers. Browns receivers actually led the league in something called boom percentage. This is a sports info solution stat. It basically measures the number of targets that result in an EPA of one or higher, or in other words, a very successful play for the offense. The Browns led the league in that. In terms of explosive plays, Browns wide receivers also came through last year. They, they ranked ninth. 13% of their plays were deemed explosive uh, per sharp football stats. So another way is that yards per route run that we mentioned earlier with the Browns, like have nobody in the top 40. Last year, Landry and Higgins were both in the top 25. Peoples Jones ranked 10th among anybody with 20 targets. Remember, he didn't get a lot of targets last year, but he was super efficient. But that just hasn't been the case this year. In other words, the Browns were efficient throwing to wide receivers last year, and the offense looks great because of it. And you didn't hear people asking, why aren't their wide receivers getting targets last year? I mean, yeah, there were the OBJ issues. Those were always there. But Landry, he had games of like three and two targets. DPJ down the stretch when he was playing over 50% of the snaps, he had some three-target games. Uh, he had two targets in the wildcard game. Higgins had a couple games with 40 or more snaps, just two or three targets. But the Browns won all those games. So nobody brought it up. It wasn't an issue because the offense was humming. They were getting production no matter how many times they were throwing to those wide receivers. They were just coming through. Um, you mentioned the Titans, or you mentioned the Vikings, and I mentioned the Titans. Two other teams that have used 13 personnel a lot in recent years. Um, they've also succeeded with low targets to their receivers. In 2019, Stefanski, again, the Vikings ranked 31st in wide receiver targets, but they ranked 4th in EPA per target. That same season, the Titans, 27th in targets to wide receivers, 1st in EPA per target. And A.J. Brown, big part of that, Stephon Diggs. A.J. Brown had 84 targets that year, 2019. And then Stephon Diggs, 94. Both those guys played at least 15 games. And like I said, I think that is something that has hurt the Browns, that they haven't had their best explosive wide receiver playing a full season. It's just, there's just no getting around that. But both the Vikings and Titans, they were playoff teams in 2019. They both had passing offenses ranked in the top 11 in terms of DVOA, which is another efficiency metric centered around success rate. Last year, the Browns had a similar success. They were 10th passing offense uh, in DVOA. So again, the goal here is quality over quantity, efficiency, when it comes to the receivers. Go, getting back to what Landry said uh, Tuesday night, he was at that food drive in Parma, and Mary Kay was uh, one of the reporters there. He mentioned how he, he hasn't been getting the ball much either this season, and he wasn't sure why he hasn't gotten more targets. But the fact is, he's second on the team, with 34 targets, he's one behind Austin Hooper. If you average his targets per game out over an entire 17-game schedule, that would be 96 targets. He had 101 last year in 15 games. Uh, yes, the Browns passing offense is only averaging barely 210 yards per game, which ranks 26th. But last season, they were at 221, which ranked 24th. So it's not as if things have like fallen off the cliff. Um, again, I think this last game really one thing goes bad and suddenly everything has gone bad and not saying that 
there isn't room for improvement. Not saying there hasn't been at least some decline there, but uh, I don't think it's uh, how maybe it's being perceived this week by people. Well, this is I mean, how Stefanski's I, offense is built to operate. I do think it's fair for the reaction to be like, hey, that weird thing you do. When it works, it's cool. When it doesn't work, we hate it. So, like, if you don't, I mean, they are an outlier. Mm-hmm. And the the hard thing, how do I say this? Because there's another thing I want to bring up. It's an Ohio State related thing that I'm getting all jacked up about. I'm going to write about it ten. <laughs> I'm going to write about it ten times between now and the draft. But there is a there is a difficult thing of, I think sometimes when you're trying to win on the margins it's good to be an outlier because it's like, well, we can't do it like everybody else or we're never going to succeed, right? That other teams have more talent or more money or whatever. So we've got to be weird. <laughs> and then as you accumulate talent and you're like, Hey man, I mean, we did this whole off season, all off season Brown's top five roster Brown's top three roster Brown's in the discussion, best roster in the league. And then when you start doing that and it's like, Hey, we have the best roster in the league, but we're also weird. And then it's like, why are you being weird? Can't you just throw in your receivers like a no? You have the number one draft pick at quarterback. You have a, a guy who's perceived as a superstar in OBJ. You have a guy who led the league in receptions in Miami, right? In Jarvis Landry. You have this second year guy that everything is going to pop a DPJ. Can't we be normal? Be normal and win. And, and I, I think there is some conflict there, Scott, that, because I do think when you win on the margins, there's a ceiling to it. Maybe you can go, you can go 11 and five or 10 and six or nine and seven. You can make the playoffs. Are you going to win a Super Bowl on the margins? And the longer they stay on the margins, the more it feels like what I've been calling the efficiency shoebox of like you're limited. And nobody wants the Browns to be limited anymore. And as much as you're saying, hey, man, Kevin Stefanski offense, get used to it. We all thought there was a step two because he was a one-year play caller in Minnesota. He came to Cleveland. He was a first-year head coach. There was a pandemic. It was a new offense or whatever. And now you got the whole offense back. There's talented dudes. Add. Add to it. Don't run it back. Add. And so while I understand the point of, hey, people, quit freaking out. This is what they do. I don't think people want them to do the same thing. They want to build on what they did successfully in the past. And by build on it, they mean throw to receivers more and have more big explosive passing plays. Well, yeah, that's what everybody thought build on it meant. But the Browns thought build on it and made build on it mean more throws to their tight ends, more use of their tight ends, more tight ends on the field, more up. That's how they build on it. It's not what everybody else thought it would build on. Which is fine. It's like, oh, oh, you thought it was about OBJ. It's about HB, baby. It's all about HB. Harrison Bryant time. I get it. And if they were seven and three, we would not be having this discussion. But this is the kind of thing that comes up because great. I get it. And also last week was not just like a dip. It fell off a cliff. Five catches for 42 yards or whatever it was for the receivers. No reception yards down the field. Like, a shock to the system. And while it was yes, one week, it was so bad, Scott, it was egregious and and not like it was egregiously ineffective. You so, also had, didn't have Nick Chubb. You also didn't have Jack Conklin out there against a pretty good Patriots defense. That's smart. I mean, those things do matter, but I get your point. 
And I know and people have brought up, hey, they've made a lot of quarterbacks look bad this year. They made the Patriots defense, Bill Belichick, they made Tom Brady look bad. Mm-hmm. They made Justin Herbert look bad. But Baker averaged 3.5 yards per attempt. It's like they made those other guys look bad, like normal bad. Baker looked like he couldn't complete a pass 11 yards down the field. So which is why it was a, it was it really was a shock to the system. So I get your uh, attempts to pull people back from the edge, but I'm not having it. I'm still on the edge. Sorry. You're on the edge until they beat the Lions. Oh, no, no. Then everything will be solved. Yeah. I know. It's fine. fine. Uh, You know what? Quick break while I dangle on the edge. We'll be back. I've got to watch the tape. All right. Doug Maurice, Scott Patsko, back with you. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash Browns. A lot of good stuff. A lot of times, and I think we do this really effectively at cleveland.com with our sports coverage as well as anybody. We do similar things, but we present it in different ways. So if you want to listen to a podcast, that's great. If you want to read a story, that's great. If you want to watch a video, that's great. If you want to get it in text, that's great. Because we know people consume information in different ways. A lot of times, Scott, when he what he talks about on here, he'll write up in a post on cleveland.com. Sometimes you can process it in a different way there. So you can go there. And Scott is always asking, you know, always writing about other things. But like what you said at the beginning, Scott, is, is again, what I think we do best here. It's like, all right. Everybody's talking about what's up with the receivers. Boom, Monday, you ask Kevin Stefanski about it. So we're not just out here looking up stats and theorizing. We're taking it to the people. We're taking what fans are thinking about to the decision makers. And you did that on Monday. And then we're diving in even deeper here. So it's the, it's the full comprehensive coverage that I hope you guys have come to rely on and enjoy here at Cleveland.com. So Cleveland.com slash Browns. Read there. If you want to be an insider, you get all of it, all of it, all of it. Click on the blue banner. You can figure out how to be part of that. All right. Normally, you send me a nice outline of how we work through this. I don't even know where we are, mostly because of the shouting. So, again, say the next thing. All right. I want to take a minute here to talk about quarterback play because, obviously, that factors into it. We're talking about wide receivers. They can't get the ball unless the quarterback throws it to them. So, beyond all the efficiency metrics that we talk about, the Browns are simply failing to complete passes thrown to wide receivers. And there shocker. we go. There Breaking we news. go. Okay. I feel better now. <laughs> they ranked 14th last season in completions to wide receivers, 66.5% of their passes completed to wide receivers, but that's dropped to under 60%, 58.2. That ranks 28th this year. Mayfield by himself, take Case Keenum out of all this. He's completing 60% of his passes to wide receivers. That's not great. Uh, Even worse is his rate of on-target throws, 57.7% this season when he's targeting wide receivers. Now, among quarterbacks with at least 100 pass attempts, Baker's on-target percentage ranks 31st, and it's a 20% drop from last season. Wow. So, yeah, I was going to stop and let you react to that. Is is Carson (laughs) Wentz 32nd? Tell me Carson Wentz is 32nd. I did did not look. Um, I know he's below Justin Fields, but yeah. Not great. Okay. No, but that is, that's precipitous. That's backing up what it feels like our eyes have been telling us that, and what the stats tell us, what the feelings tell you. Like, hey, Baker was highly ranked in a lot of things and was moving the offense in the second half of last year. And Jarvis had a role and DPJ had a role and we get it. They weren't leading the league in, in receiving yards, but they had roles and they were effective. And that t- a 20% drop from last year, that feels mm-hmm. right on. And that's a problem. That's a problem. That's a real problem. Yeah, so I, I, I started thinking about that and I wanted to try to figure out like where are those issues happening? What routes are becoming an issue uh, as far as connecting with wide receivers? So 
Like most NFL teams, the Browns have a few routes that they use the most. Curl, out, slant, dig. Those are kind of like the four most popular. Uh, and the Browns uh, use, or at least target, uh, those routes the most. Um, so I wondered, like, again, if any of those routes were kind of a problem area this year. Uh, we'll start with out routes, which, again, I think most people know what that is. You're just running ahead and making a beeline for the sideline. Last year, it was their most targeted route for wide receivers. It's the same this year, and it's not really a problem. The Browns were third in EPA per target last year, and they're fourth this year. So all is well with out routes. DPJ and Landry run a lot of those. Higgins leads the team, actually. Higgins, man, I, I don't know if Elias keeps stats on the amount of routes without seeing the football, but Richard Higgins might might break it this year. But, but that's he's free ran, money, free money yeah. routes. Those are free money routes, not not as contested, especially if you're getting any kind of soft coverage. You're not mm-hmm. having to throw over anybody. You're not having to fit a window. It's if you do it right, it's do or die. It's either your guy or it's incomplete. You're not risking uh, uh, unless the route gets jumped because you don't have the arm. Yeah, if, strength, you right? wrong, if you do it wrong, if you do it wrong, it's jumped. a pick six. <laughs> but but most of the time, that, those are free money things, and a lot of that is taking advantage of what the defense is giving you. And so that's good news, I guess, mm-hmm. that they're as effective there and they're still doing it a lot. But it's also kind of the easiest way to move the ball. Right, right. So curl routes. Um, similar uh, to out routes uh, as far as their success. EPA per target, fifth last year. They're second this year. They've actually gotten better on curls, and they're already good to begin with. So DPJ runs a lot of these. OBJ ran a lot of these with the Browns. So um, curls and out routes, not an issue. Then we get to slants and dig routes. Um, and dig routes, if anybody's not sure, it's basically you're running you know 10 or so yards straight and then making a sharp cut. Uh, across the field. So let's start with dig routes. The Browns were 13 of 18 last year when throwing these to wide receivers. Baker was good uh, at throwing them too. He was on target 87% of the time that ranked third among quarterbacks. Wide receivers were 10th in EPA per target when Baker threw it to them. And they caught a hundred percent of the passes that were on target. So that's all good stuff. Uh, This year, five of nine. So it's roughly the same rate. Like by the end of the season, they should be around where they were last year as far as catches and targets, but they're completing just 66% of those. Actually 66% of those have been on target. So that's a huge drop from last year where he was uh, almost near 90. And then as you might expect, uh, EPA per target is down. They are 30th. Yep. And, And they are 30th in catching passes that are actually on target. They don't have any drops though. So that's just to me that there's a lack of separation uh, and or the defenses are doing better being in position to th- deny those passes. Again, this is this is one of the things that the Browns use a lot with their wide receivers. So that has been an issue, completing passes on dig routes. Slant routes. Slant routes have been interesting the last few years because we weren't really sure what we were going to get when Stefanski showed up. Like in 2019, the Browns, they added OBJ. They led the league in throwing slants. They had 53 targets that year. And, and that's like, sense. that's OBJ's thing, right? Oh, that's yeah. where a lot of his best success is. Oh yeah. When he was with the giants, that's, that's what he did. And then you pair him with Landry, a slot guy who runs a lot of slants and combine them with Freddie kitchens and boom, you're leading the league in slants, but they really weren't getting good return. They were only 27th in EPA per target that year. They were actually in, in the negative uh, and running slants despite all those, all those passes. Meanwhile, in Minnesota, Stefanski wasn't even slants much at all. Vikings were 29th in targets. Uh, it just wasn't part of his offense. So Stefanski inherits OBJ and Landry in 2020. 
and slant routes declined. Uh, Higgins, Landry, OBJ all ran between like 20 and 27 routes all year, and they each were targeted less than 10 times. So altogether, the Browns were 17 of 21. So a lot, a lot less than those 53 targets the year before. However, this is an area where the offense got quality over quantity last year. The Browns were fifth in EPA per target on slant routes. Landry would have led the league in EPA per target if he'd had enough targets to qualify. Beckham would have been top five. Higgins would have been top 10. The Browns were getting efficiency and production out of that route. Again, quality over quantity. This year, they're about on the same pace in terms of receptions and targets on slants, but they're, again, falling off the cliff on, on efficiency. They're 30th in EPA per target. They're in the negative. Landry's still seeing a lot of slants and catching them for first downs, but you've lost OBJ and Higgins seems to be stuck in this like break glass only in case of emergency mode when it comes to targets. So he's not getting them. DPJ just does not get targets on slants, right? He ran seven last year. He had three targets. He's run a team high 18 slant routes this year. One target. Um, Schwartz is five targets or five routes, no target. So he's not even getting uh, looks there. So I'm not sure what the future of slant route production is for the Browns over the final seven games, but I do know that they are running low on guys who get those targets. And again, this was a great efficiency route for them last year. And it's just uh, not the same. And you do not have the guys who excelled at it or enough of the guys who excelled at it in those positions uh, this year. Do you think it's, do you think they're not getting open? Do you think they're not getting separation? On those, you don't really. I mean, it's a slant route as long as you get inside, yeah, you're throwing it. Um, and a lot of those two are it's it's third and four, and you take one step and it's a low throw, and you're not supposed to run after it, you know. Yeah, I don't think separation matters as much on that, it's just got to be quick and you have to have the faith to throw it. And for whatever reason, that's not happening. It's crowded in there. I just, I, I question. Baker's faith in his body right now, which is where, and, and the, like the routes you're talking about, those outs and curls, those are guys kind of not on the move, right? Yeah. You run a curl, especially like you run a curl and you kind of get the defender on your back and it's like you're posted up and you're facing the quarterback and all he's got to do is throw it in your gut. You run an out, the defender's on your back hip or on your backside, you're boxing him out. There's yeah. not a lot of risk there. And then the other two routes you're talking about, you're hitting guys on the move more in the middle of the field. And I don't think Baker trusts himself there. And I think those are the routes where we see guys look open and he doesn't throw them. And I think there are times where he's just, he's not hitting those windows. And so it does not surprise me that the routes that are hitting are routes where guys are stopped and the routes that aren't hitting are the routes where guys are on the move. And guess what? Guess where you hit big plays when guys Mm -hmm. catching the ball are on the move. You're not going to hit a big play in a curl unless a guy spins out of a tackle and then runs, but it's like, it's not designed. It's why, I mean, all the stuff they're doing, I mean, everything against the Patriots was a six yard throw to a guy who was standing still practically. Right. And so that's it. We can see it. The numbers are backing up what we're seeing. And then there's no boom. There's no boom (laughs) rate or there's no boom stat. So there's no boom. So two more routes. I want to mention here, Um, double moves on deep routes and deep crosses. And we mentioned on the pod before, and I've written about how Baker's really struggled to connect on deep passes this year. And that's despite being pretty decent prior to this year. Like he, he was pretty good at, at, uh, at deep throws this year has not been the case, but these two routes, I think are good examples 
of the struggles on double deep moves. And this is the route people's Jones had that 75 yard catch versus the Titans. It's the route OBJ ran against the Vikings and Baker just missed him. It's the route that they season. hit against the Bengals. The 60 yarder against the yeah. Bengals for DPJ yeah. was a double move. Yeah. But yeah. Um, so last year they were nine of 15 on this route, like to, just to wide receivers. And that 15 attempts to wide receivers was actually second most in the league. Uh, the Browns were fifth on EPA per target. They were actually, it was, it was 1.26, which is really good. You're over one, you're, you're doing something right. This year, they're only two of six uh, on this route. And only two of those throws have been on target. Beckham, Landry, and Higgins last year, that trio combined for 11 of the 15 targets on deep double moves. OBJ's gone again. Higgins, again, is just not getting the targets this year. So that route is going to take a hit unless DPJ, like they really ramp up. And, and he's proven he he's had success in it, but you've got Landry who who knows what his health is right now. And then DPJ is really the only other threat on that move right now. The other one, deep cross. And this is one the Vikings like owned in 2019. When they threw it to wide receivers, they were 11 of 13. They were second in EPA per target. Uh, the Browns last year picked up where they left off. They were actually perfect, eight of eight. When they threw a deep cross to wide receivers, they were third in EPA per target. So Stefanski's offense just continued to get production. This year, the Browns are two of three on deep crosses, only ranked 16th in EPA per target. DPJ has run a team high nine deep crossing routes, two targets, one catch. Beckham ran nine routes, zero targets. That's Hashtag why he everybody left. everybody hurts. Hashtag Hashtag for real. Hurts. That's it. Please don't send that stat to his dad. Exactly. Um, Higgins, seven routes, zero targets. Schwartz, six routes, one target. It's just that they, they're just not there. Uh, Landry ran 11 of those routes last year, second most on the team. Uh, he had three catches. He's ran zero deep crosses this year, according to Sports Info Solutions tracking. So, again, it's, the Browns believe they don't need to have wide receivers with high target numbers to be successful, and they proved that last year, but we can see where the differences are. I don't believe the fact that they're having the issues this year is a reason to scrap the plan. However, like injuries, I think at this point might have me looking for alternatives. It, the fact that they still have a ways to go before the bye week is not helping matters, but Landry's banged up. OBJ's gone. Higgins, like missing an action. Schwartz is a non-factor this year. You can only throw many, so many passes to Donovan Peoples-Jones. Um, getting quality out of that group over the final seven games might be tough. I'll tell you though. So I bet there was some value in those nine deep crosses that OBJ ran because I bet you he ran off some safeties and opened up some other routes as a result. It's hard to run nine deep crosses and get zero targets. Like there is a realism factor here. Mm -hmm. It is not fun to be such an obvious decoy. And the difference between zero targets on nine deep crosses and three targets and two catches on nine deep crosses it's not a huge one statistically emotionally. It's a giant gulf. The idea, oh, yeah. like you just feel like an afterthought you feel. And it, the whole thing feels like an afterthought. And even if the defense is still respecting it, just based on the speed and what OBJ used to be or whatever, just cause you got to, you know, there's, you got to do it. Like, I think, I think this is an efficiency shoebox part of it that, and again, whether it's Baker's, I don't, whether it's Baker's physical inability to even take those, to try those shots, or whether it's Kevin sort of 
beating it out of him by not wanting him to risk turnovers. You can't have a receiver who's supposedly your number one receiver run nine deep crosses in a season and never even try to throw him the ball. You can't, or his dad's going to get really mad. And I know people don't want us to talk a ton. It's not about OBJ. It's about any receiver in that situation. And they're going to have other receivers on this team in the Kevin Stefanski offense. I don't think that's, that's untenable to me, Scott. Like Mm -hmm. you can't do that. You've got to find a better way to at least try some of those. And then as we've been saying, as you've been saying, the things they've tried this year haven't hit. That's got to be fixed. Yeah, and, I, and, and you're right about their opening up things underneath, but the Browns' passing offense has declined this year. So clearly just using those to open up other things isn't working as well as they want it to. So, yeah, I think you're right that, um, that you do need to throw more of those. But then at this point in the season, it's like, okay, who are we throwing those to? Right. Yeah. I got an answer for next year, which I'm going to get to. I'm very like excited answer. about it. Very excited about it. But – do you think they need an answer there? And so I guess because there's there's two things at play here. One is figure out the next seven games, patch mm-hmm. it together, do what you got to do. It's all still there. Go five and two over the last seven. You're in the playoffs, and then it's a crapshoot. Who knows? Lean on the run game. Hit enough of this stuff. Get a little more efficient about it. Get back to last year. Get DPJ involved. Like you said, I think Schwartz is not going to happen this year. Find a role for Higgins whatever it is, right? A little more Jarvis, we get it. Find a way to do it. But then there's, is this something that they should prioritize when they think about off-season roster management? And is it something that they should think about when you think about Kevin Stefanski's offense, when you think about the quarterback of this team, and when you think of the long-term potential of this team making a Super Bowl? Can you do it with the passing offense and the passing offense stats that you've cited this year. I don't think you can, right? And and so then you've got to change something. Yeah. Look, I think the wide receiver room is going to get a serious makeover this offseason. But like if you're asking, is their entire offensive philosophy able to get them to the Super Bowl? I think they're willing to keep trying. I doubt you're going to see a a huge transition in how they do things. I, again, last year, I think gave them confidence that they, they can be successful. A lot of questions this year that we're not going to have full answers to until this season's over. Yeah. Um, but uh, I mean, if anybody other than people's Jones and Schwartz are in that receiver room next year, I would be somewhat surprised. I think Landry, the fact that they can get out of his contract and only eat like less than $2 million. That's a legitimate possibility. Um, Higgins, I'm still going to write my Browns hate Richard Higgins column. And I, I just, you know, they, they brought him back and then he just is not part of this offense, which is sometimes he's not even getting on the field. So again, it's, it, you've got two guys, but look, we're, we're analyzing this team right now. And we've analyzed this team over the first half of the season here with huge issues in their backfield and not having Chubb and hunt together is a big deal for this offense. Agreed. Not having them able to spell each other and get the most out of both of them. It's just, it all starts with that. And it, it just all rolls downhill. I mean, again, the Richard Higgins thing is so weird as we documented in that Cincinnati game, the first game without OBJ, it was Peoples, Jones, Landry, and Schwartz. And Richard mm-hmm. Higgins didn't play a snap until DPJ got hurt. 
And that was the reality. And that's in the world where Anthony Schwartz is not an NFL receiver right now. He's not. He's a speed guy. He doesn't know how to run routes. He doesn't know how to fight for balls in the air. He doesn't know how to finish routes. I'm not blaming him, but that's a third round pick. And Mm -hmm. I know all the combine numbers and whatever, and he's the fastest guy. He's not a receiver. He's barely returned man. I mean, he's just, he's, and I know Mary Kay has documented all the time he missed in the offseason, but the reality is they put that guy out there instead of Rashard Higgins. So I don't know, man. And then that was the sense that that was the good game. And then the New England game, they didn't throw to the receivers. So I, there are, I think there are adjustments that they could make in the moment here. And, but I don't know, I don't know that they're going to. And it probably is going to be that the adjustment is get the running backs healthy, do what we do and hope that it works again like it did last year and that we just got to get back to our efficiency numbers throwing the ball, but we're not all of a sudden going to start super involving the receivers. All right, quick break. We'll come back and finish this up. Scott's got more to say next. I've got to watch the tape. All right, so Scott Pasco, continue on that thought process. What do you think should happen and will happen with throwing to receivers the rest of this year? Well, that's a big question right there. <laughs> I, look, I don't expect anything to change as far as our direction on offense. I do think you're still going to see a lot of tight ends, uh, a lot of three tight end formations. The problem is when you look at your wide receiver roster, you again, you have Landry, DPJ, Higgins, Schwartz, and I believe Jamarcus Bradley is active currently. Um, Schwartz has got a concussion or in the concussion protocol and Landry's not healthy. If I'm making predictions, I'm thinking you're going to see probably less throws to wide receivers than we have just based on the volume that they have available to them. But beyond that, I think, and we all hate the cliche when the athletes say it, but they really seriously do have to take it one game at a time, like beat Detroit, figure out how you do that. You might not have your quarterback. You just don't know yet. He didn't practice on Wednesday. Um, the Lions, Jared, Jared Goff didn't practice either, so that'd be an interesting matchup. But I don't expect things to change. I don't think things can change drastically in the middle of a season like this, even with the bye week in, in week 13. I think you just fight to get people healthy and, and, and make it through week to week. And I do think, and I saw some people, some smart NFL people having this discussion on Twitter. We still, the NFL to some degree is not equipped to correctly characterize some of the athletes that are out on the field right now. And if you have a guy who's split out a lot and he's running routes and you're calling him a tight end, sometimes, I mean, David Njoku, when he's out there, if you're trying to get him the ball 20 yards down the field, he's not really a tight end. Right. And they're not even covering him like he's a tight end. So it's like, oh, David Njoku might be their best receiver. Now he's going to have a TE next to his name. And when you go through the stats, he's going to be counted as a tight end. But honestly, if you're looking for somebody to threaten the defense 15 yards down the field right now, he might be the best guy. We want to run, we want to run some crossing routes. Yeah. You want to run some stuff in the middle of the field that's a that's got a little more upside. We saw what they did it with the Chargers against the Chargers. David Njoku was a threat down the field. Wide receiver stuff is kind of a shorthand for run me a route that isn't a six-yard flip, right? That's what we mean. So however you got to do it, might be Demetric Felton, right? I mean, you've got to have some guys who can threaten on the second level of the passing game. 
And I think they have some of those guys, but they've got to decide to do it. They've got to decide to do it. And they didn't do it last week. But if you're going to tell me that Njoku's numbers are going to go up and his targets are going to go up and it's going to be characterized as tight end throws, but he's going to catch over the next, you know, if he, if David Njoku catches five balls, 15 yards or more down the field in the two Baltimore games, let's roll. I don't care what you call them. I, I sometimes want like, what would this offense look like if they went Kansas city mode and they really focused on David Njoku's the tight end, like he's getting 10 targets a game and say DPJ, you know, he's getting 10 to 12 targets a game, you know, Tyreek kill territory, obviously not as fast or as quick, maybe not running exactly the same routes, but what if they really narrowed it down and became like that and did that trio, you know, like the killer bees, yeah. with the Steelers, would that be any better? I don't know. Um, clearly they want to spread it around. That's how this offense operates um, with however, you know, how many people they use at all these different positions. But uh, what, what would happen if you just focused on Njoku target wise, you just focused on TPJ. Like those are the guys that you're always looking for first, you know? Let, let me ask you this. If the Browns, if when Kevin Stefanski got here, the Browns had Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett. Would Kevin Stefanski still be running the offense that he runs? And he wouldn't be having Russell Wilson chucking it downfield to a super fast big guy because that doesn't fit Stefanski's offense? Well, they might not have hired him. Um, <laughs> they might have looked for a different coach that had an offense more. I mean, it, uh, Baker Mayfield and play action. That yep. was that's, that's why Kevin Stefanski was here, or at least a huge part of why he was so attracted to them as a head coach. So. Yeah, I don't know if if he would go in there and change things with the Seahawks. So, so I just, I mean, it's like I, I'm not trying to spin out of control on this, but my point is, there's doing what you do as a coach, and there's mm-hmm. doing what fits your guys. And clearly, I mean, the numbers help back up. They didn't ever really do what fit OBJ, and it's like they inherited OBJ. I don't think this front office and this coach would have ever wanted to spend that much money on OBJ. They did the best they could. They're not going to get, they're not going to assign another $15 million receiver with that type of skill set. I get it. But I, I am at a point of questioning a little bit. Are they too dedicated to what Stefanski wants to do in the efficiency shoebox? And I know they have three tight ends and I know they have two good running backs, but man, you are really wedded to that in a way that no other team in the world is wedded to that. And even by the way, it's like the Titans are, are a comparison here. And they lost Derrick Henry and plugged in a retired guy. And like, they seem okay. Right. But the Browns are trying to plug people in and they're not okay. Right. So like, like mm-hmm. I don't know how to take that in, into consideration. And let me, uh, there's two more things I want to hit. I will say this. So here's Stefan Diggs in Minnesota in 2018, before Kevin Stefanski was calling the plays, 9.9 targets per game. In Minnesota, in 2019, when Kevin Stefanski was calling the plays, 6.3 targets per game. He gets traded to Buffalo last year, first year with Josh Allen, 10.4 targets per game. So the year before Kevin Stefanski called the play, and the year after Kevin Stefanski was calling his plays, Stefan Diggs, one of the better receivers in the league, averaged 10 targets a game. The year Kevin Stefanski called it, he averaged six. We're just supposed to take that as, hey, man, Kevin Stefanski's way. Sorry, top 10 receiver. Like, that's how we're supposed to take that. And again, that's in a world where Adam Thielen, the other receiver on that team, missed six games. 
His mm-hmm. targets were even below Diggs. It's not an injury related. Oh, they spread it around. I they just they threw it to Diggs. He led that team in targets that year with six point three per game, and then it was running backs and tight ends and whatever. But that's a drop of four targets per game for a high achieving receiver, and that's just the way it is. And we're supposed to say, okay, that's the Stefanski plan. And Diggs didn't like that plan, clearly. <laughs> OBJ didn't like that plan, clearly. Well, so not everybody's on board with it. But are you ever going to get a receiver here who's going to be happy? So then the answer is the Browns are going to win the rec- win the Super Bowl with second-tier receivers because you can never bring in a frontline receiver because he's going to get ticked off because he doesn't get the ball? Like, is that the world we're in? Well, I don't know. A front... If you want, if you, you can have said, a great receiver in this offense, two, but you can't have somebody who, who, who wants the ball all the time, who wants to be among the league leaders and catches and targets. That guy is going to be unhappy in this offense. That's clear. So here's the point then that I think, and I have come around as I really should write this stuff. I just don't have time to do it. I do think the thing in the end is if you're going to run this offense, you have to bring in a receiver fresh. You cannot bring in a receiver who has ever experienced a world where receivers got the ball a lot more. You have to draft you. You have to draft him. Which is why I think they really, on one hand, it might be like, well, then why would this team take a receiver in the first round? And it's like, well, because that's the only chance you have to have a high level, happy receiver because Stefan Diggs in Minnesota before Kevin Stefanski was calling the plays was getting the ball all the time. He experienced that. And then when it was taken away, I didn't like it. OBJ was getting the ball all the time in New York, but it was taken away. He didn't like it. So you can't bring in somebody from somewhere else. Now, by the way, the Rams are going to get the benefit of, of less disgruntled OBJ because now he's coming from a situation where he didn't get many targets. So he's not going to have the same expectation, right? The Browns have lowered his, his expectations. So they're getting a different mindset, which means I think you have to draft your number one receiver. And then hope, then put blinders on. Don't let him look at stats. Disable NFL stats on his computer. He can only look at, you know, YouTube clips of of guys on skateboards. He cannot look at NFL stats, which is why there is an ESPN early mock draft from Jordan Reed, one of the new guys over there at ESPN. The Browns have the 20th pick in that mock draft, and he has them selecting Garrett Wilson from Ohio State. Garrett Wilson, who is Ohio State's best receiver, who has been a slot receiver, who can, who has been an outside receiver, who can run deep routes, who can run short routes. He is a turbocharged Jarvis Landry. He is smart as heck. He is explosive. He plays the ball in the air incredibly well. He is an absolute number one receiver. Whatever draft it was, 2016 draft, I wrote before the draft, the Browns should take Michael Thomas. I'm going to write it 30 times on Garrett Wilson. He is the solution. He is a multi-level receiver who's a good dude. He is the solution to this offense, and you get him in here, and you get him to buy into a system where he's not the focus. But when you throw it to him, he's going to catch it and be explosive. I think that's long-term, Scott, I don't think they have a choice. They have to do this. And the receiver draft next year, it's top heavy on corners, on edge rushers, guys that they don't need. The receivers are going to fall. There's a group of them, two of them at Ohio State. There's Jahan Dotson from Penn State. There's Traylon Burks from Arkansas. There's Drake London from USC. There are number one receivers to be had. 
in the middle and late part of the first round of the next draft, and the Browns must take one because it's the only way to happy, have a happy, productive receiver in the Kevin Stefanski offense. Yeah, I would be surprised if they didn't take somebody early, a uh, wide receiver, because like I said, I expect this wide receiver room to kind of get cleaned out this offseason. And yeah, that one a guy who, especially who could play in the slot, who's fast and can make something happen after the run, that would be great for this offense. Uh, you pair that person with DPJ, um, you look, you look pretty good. I think a turbocharged Jarvis Landry sounds great. <laughs> yeah. All right. But for now they've got to figure it out. And I think Kevin Stefanski has to be willing to adjust. I'm not asking him to change, but you can't be stubborn about this stuff. And the wild card in all of this is, is are they leaning in even more to the three tight ends short passing thing because Baker's hurt and Baker on Wednesday was, was saying he had, like, he's, he's so hurt. And he was like, I mean, there's no point talking about it. I got to do what I got to do. Like mm-hmm. I'm, I'm feeling, you know, like um, he, I don't think he's in a great spot physically or mentally, but he's got seven games left and he's, he's going to be out there. So like he is in a tough spot, but so is this offense. And so this is where the head coach has to make some money. I, I had suggested maybe it's time for Kevin to like ease up on the play calling duties, get some fresh eyes on there. I'm not saying change the play sheet, but maybe let someone else make the calls off the play sheet, how you put them together, how you decide things in the moment. I think he's maybe, I don't know. I think he's maybe in that efficiency shoebox that he's putting some of his players in. I think he's in there himself. I just, I think they could use, Something a minor shakeup. I'm not saying like go crazy. I mean, well, they already waived their supposed number one receiver, so it's a little crazy. And it might just be getting guys healthy. And I'll tell you what, there's going to be a time when Kareem Hunt comes back, where to some extent, whether it's 20 percent or 100 percent, we're all going to go. Oh no, yeah, it was just that. Oh, it was just I mean, it was Kareem Hunt got hurt, and everything went to <laughs> went to crap. But when he's here, everything's fine. Like he's it's just key. like. Just like, I mean, Garrett Wilson is that for the Ohio State offense. I said he's like the connective fiber of the offense. Kareem Hunt's the connective fiber of this offense. As good as Nick Chubb is, you need both of them. And then we see, as you keep saying, Hunt's like number two or number three in targets. He's Mm -hmm. such an integral part of both the run game and the pass game. He's a red zone guy. He's a big play guy. He's everything. And while I don't think he's your, you know, he shouldn't be your number one back. He is the absolute perfect tie it all together, multi-dimensional dude for what Kevin Stefanski wants to do. And when you don't have him, there's no explosion. There's no explosion to this offense right now. And they won't have him this week. Uh, but it's a great time to play a winless team, isn't it? Oh, could be better. I mean, for real. There have been times, I mean, Freddie Kitchens got, got the schedule slapped in his face the year mm-hmm. he was here. Like they had all the the Seahawks and the Rams and the 49ers and all that stuff early on. It was like, yo, this is some, and then last year, the schedule kind of worked for them. Then the second half, this is a schedule godsend right here. Now, of course they were a 66 yard, Justin Tucker field goal off the crossbar from beating the Ravens. So let's, let's have everybody underestimate the lions and have them jam the barge right up the Browns. You know what? So (laughs) yeah, it's the barge up for grabs is our regular season game between the, I think that's like it's like the Super Bowl of barge games. They're actually playing in the regular season. 
This is uh, it's there for the taking, Scott. That story is all all there for you at Google.com whenever you want it. All right. I got fired up. I told you I was going to be persnickety, but this is supposed to be a, a statistical show, but the stats made me mad. So um, that's that's actually the tagline for this show. The stats made me mad. Got to watch the tape. All right, Scott, that was really good. I think that was valuable, valuable context for a thing that everybody's talking about right now. Make sure you're reading, Scott. Make sure you're listening to all our Orange and Brown Talk podcasts. We're so grateful you make Gotta Watch the Tape part of your week. For Scott Patsko, I'm Doug Maurice. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.